Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Danae and I are super excited about this episode. (laughs) Um, Somebody that I've been following for a while and that I just think is relatable and yet Danae, your word is like channel, right? Mm. Um, We have Kelsey Grant today. And Kelsey Grant is a relational alchemist, a teacher, and a mentor. Um, If you want to check her out more, I'll just give these to you now, even though she says them in the episode. But legendaryloveacademy.com is one of her websites. And she does this awesome online platform. And then you can find her at Radical Self Love throughout. But I just, I love Kelsey. I think Kelsey, I don't know. I I feel like, I think I started following her actually during the pandemic. And I just found that she was such like a nice daily inspiration kind of popping into my feed. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You, you said that she was a, she was a channel. I think you actually said that in the episode and I thought that was so spot on. Yeah. She's just one of those people who is so clearly in alignment with what she is meant to be doing in this lifetime. Um, Her energy is magnetic and infectious. And she's absolutely one of my favorite accounts to follow on social media. And I think, you know, we've been um, sort of connecting with her, talking about her coming on for uh, at least over a year. I know, (laughs) but um, we were just both so excited to sit down and chat with her and she does not disappoint in this episode. She is just, you know, she's like one of those women that really challenges patriarchal narratives and the things that we've been taught about how we are meant to carry ourselves and show up in relationships in a way that just feels like empowering is the word that always comes to mind when I think about her and, um, and just like owning ourselves mm-hmm. and our sensuality in a way that um, I just, I, I love the energy she brings into every conversation. So I was Agreed. thrilled to get to pick her brain a little bit. And I think you all will be thrilled as well to hear it. So enjoy. But before we get into that, yeah, a couple of quick reminders. Yeah. So, you know, so many of you have requested that we host more than just our one week long retreat. So, um, We have another one coming up that we're so excited to share with you guys. We're going to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. We're going to be leading another week-long immersive retreat with two of our dear friends this time, um, Meli Murillo and Ashley Torrent, who are just such, again, incredibly inspiring Mm -hmm. women and colleagues of ours. And um, the four of us are going to be drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, and group processing. And the four of us will be supporting you in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. So if you're interested in learning more about this retreat, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And there are also payment plans available for this one. Yep. Totally. Email me about that stuff. And also remember, as we always say, to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen most on, as well as give us a five-star rating and review um, because, you know, there's algorithms at play. And also, if you could share this episode with a friend, if it resonates, word of mouth is still the best way to discover something new. So let's get on over to our conversation. Mm. Y'all. Can we just talk about, you guys weren't even here on the recording five seconds ago. Kelsey came on and we were just like all laughing and immediately like, we love you. (laughs) It's just a one big love fest here right now. It's fantastic. I'm obsessed. Um, Somebody who I think Danae and I both have been kind of dying to have on the podcast for a while. So we're really grateful that you're here and um, can't wait to bring you to our people. Um, Why don't we start here? Because we're always curious with our guests what your kind of lead up was or what the life path was that kind of brought you to where you're at now, right? Like doing the work that you're doing. Um, How did you get here? How did you become you? Well, I was born on July 27th, 1982. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, 
like a lot of people, I'm sure, like the lead up to this point was, you know, just a lot of experiences in my family system and in my relationships that just weren't quite clicking the way that I intuitively knew that they could. Not that they should, but that they could. Yeah. And I was like, there's got to be like a piece that I'm missing here that I just wasn't taught. And so it literally sent me down this path. And I started with personal development. Like I'd done a little bit of therapy when I was in high school, when my parents' relationship was starting to combust and we all went to the family therapy and I had to do individual therapy. And it just, it, it wasn't the path for me at that time. Like my mm -hmm. system was like, mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> like it was so tightly wound that I didn't trust anybody. And I certainly was not going to trust a therapist that I didn't know that, you know, was going to go back and tell my parents what I'd said, which is what had happened. Yeah. Especially as a teenager, right? I, yeah. I worked with a lot of adolescents when I was in my training and they are a special breed. Oh, <laughs> love them, but special for breed. sure. <laughs> And so like that just wasn't my path. So of course I went into the phase of being a wrecking ball in my life and just like slaying dick and just dating dudes and just being a, a relational wrecking ball. And then <laughs> Sorry, I have to, I have to laugh. I love you. I fucking love you to send slaying dick. I'm going to use that. Well, that's literally what I was doing. I, I mean, yeah, I went through that phase too. That's probably why I love hearing you say it. So <laughs> that's right. And like, I had zero reverence for relationships mm -hmm. at that stage because I was like, yeah. relationships are the thing that caused me so much pain. And so I'm just going to remove that piece and like turn my heart off mm. and like, go through the motions. And I was someone who I learned could have sex without getting emotionally connected only because I was not emotionally available. Mm -hmm. And so I went through that phase and then I got bored. I'm like, this is boring. Like there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of richness. It's just kind of going through the motions, uh, same story, different person. And that kind of led me into university where I did my degree in sociology with a specialization in gender, sexuality, and women's studies. And that really sparked something in my system. I was like, oh, there is something deeper. There is something more. I did a lot of um, spiritual studies also in my university days, which kind of balanced these two parts, like this part that is so interested in the psychology, but then this other part that's really interested in the spiritual side of things and the depth that's available there. And so that started to transform my relationships. I actually did two very long-term relationships um, after that. And when the second one ended and him and I, like the reason that it ended, and it's so weird, I had a dream about him last night um, <laughs> right before I came on here, but we had like all the pieces kind of fit together except the spiritual piece. The spiritual piece was the one thing that was missing between us. And it was the path that my soul was starting to carve. And so I ended up leaving that relationship, finding personal development. And inside of finding personal development, I landed in a community that was very personal development and spiritual development oriented. And then it literally just started this wild ass journey that I've had for the last 13 years of building a business and teaching about relationships and like trial by fire. Like I will not lead people through something that I have not done myself. And that's just my personal line of integrity. Like I, I can learn a lot of things and if I'm not applying them in my life, I will not give them as, you know, a, an authority. Like I won't stand as an authority being like, I know everything and you should follow me and do what I say. <laughs> I just won't do that. Yeah. I'll be honest about where I'm at or that this is a piece that I'm not quite all the way through. 
and that there are other people who are more embodied in that teaching that, you know, could be the guide at that point in time. So like really my whole relationship life has been the foundation for the work that I do in the world and, you know, going through really traumatic relationships, really beautiful relationships. My current body of work was born out of an emotionally abusive relationship that I was in for four years um, with someone who is also, you know, a pretty big name in this community. And like, that was such a mind fuck. Because I'm like, how can it be like everyone thinks he's like the most incredible person in the world. And then in the back end, this shit's happening in our relationship. And it was a really hard piece to kind of digest. But now that I've, you know, had six years of digesting this, um, it birthed this whole new body of work, which is really rich in embodiment. And I, I had to go through that experience because that's what happened in my life in order to really touch these really tender, soft, open places in me and reclaim them back. So, I mean, that's kind of the short overview of how <laughs> we arrived here. Um, but it was really just a lot of my own relationship, like diving in headfirst my whole philosophy is like, let's fuck around and find out. Like it's in my human mm -hmm. design. Like I'm just going to go in and I'm going to try it. And if it works great, if it doesn't, I'm going to adjust and I will adjust until it's not true. And once it's not true for me to stay, then I'm going to go. So that's really how I landed here today. I love that. I love that. I love, yeah. Just this idea that the things that we go through, um, give us this opportunity to support others in moving through what we have the experience going totally. through. And I was thinking back as I was, um, I was digging through some of your content and listening to some of your podcasts, knowing that you were coming on today, Kelsey. And I was thinking back, like, when did I first um, find Kelsey? And I remember that someone had posted something that you had shared like, oh my God, this was a couple of years ago now, but it was about like how situationships um, really are sort of like for a woman's nervous system, especially not that supportive of like the truth of what we're feeling a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a conversation I've been having with women a lot lately. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this about how so much of what a patriarchal structure really conditions us as women to be like so in our intellect and so like you know the cool girl thing that we all are familiar with that a lot mm -hmm. of times that whole thing of like i'm having fun let's see where this goes can be really sort of biologically um not containing for the feminine in that mm -hmm. like biologically a lot of times abandonment used to equal a lack of safety and so mm -hmm. i think so much of what we are shaming ourselves and trying to like intellectually talk ourselves into relationally sometimes just like some part of us intuitively it doesn't feel right but we're like at mm -hmm. odds with ourselves about it you know what i mean 100 mm -hmm. we you just spend five minutes on <clears throat> instagram or watching reality tv and you're getting this message that you should be able to have a casual relationship and if you can't then what's wrong with you and mm -hmm. Like there are people who, like me, you know, who was just not emotionally available, who was like, I was capable of doing that at a certain stage of my journey. And I don't want to shame that at all because it was an important part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so, but I had to kind of get to this point where I was getting more honest with myself. And I think that's the piece that gets stepped over because in order to belong to like this bigger collective society, we often have to override what's really true and honest in our body. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing mm -hmm. that since we were little, you know, we have to override the body in order to appease the parents or the caregivers um, so that we fit and that we are taken care of and that we survive. And then we continue that pattern into adolescence, into young adulthood, where we are, we're just used to overriding the body. And for a lot of people, they're just not in their body. And right. so then we, we kind of play out these situationships, especially as women, 
And we're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally cool. I'm a feminist. Like, I can do anything (laughs) that a man can do. Mm -hmm. And I can have (laughs) casual relationships, and it's totally fine. And then 10 years later, your womb is like, bitch, Mm -hmm. you are not okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like, you have some healing to do. And when we start to thaw out those places that are frozen over, we start to have more access to our emotional world, our heart. And once we're in relationship with those parts, and it doesn't have to be a perfect relationship, it doesn't have to be a masterful relationship, it's just in connection with those parts. We can start to touch the thread of, is it really true for me to have a casual relationship? And that's really the only question you have to ask. Like, is it really true? And then sit with the answer. And that's the hard part for people because sitting with the answer means you have to be in your body. You have to feel your feelings. And we don't exactly live in a society that is like emotion friendly. We like, oh yeah, feel your feelings. That's amazing. (laughs) Like there's, there's still a lot of like weird energetics around being an emotional human, whether you're a man or a woman or a person, like it, it doesn't matter. Like we're not getting like the healthy tutelage of mm-hmm. emotions are just a part of your human. You can't outrun them, but you can learn to dance with them. They have a lot of important information. And so when we ask, is it really true for me to be in this situation or is there a younger part that's starving that's trying to get something through the situationship or a younger part that's really afraid, that's trying to avoid um, being seen by being in a situationship? Because a situationship is not going to tend to your deep internal world. It's just not mm-hmm. by virtue of the title. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's not the, yeah. the structure of the relationship. We were, I was just having a conversation last night actually with my partner. We were talking about just like past relationships and stuff. And um, anyway, we ended up going into like some of the historical relationships for me. And I was talking about this idea of like choosing yourself, which is something I talk about in our book actually. And how I've really been able to, with hindsight, look back at the relationships where I just like was so desperate for them to choose me and put myself in situationships and pretended mm-hmm. I was cool with it, right? And was so desperate for it. And of course, those are the ones that didn't. And then I found myself in my long-term, my last relationship with my ex-fiance, longer, you know, last relationship before John, where he was, you know, he has, he struggled with alcoholism. And this idea of choosing me really to me was like, I knew, and Danae and I talked about this, like, without a shadow of a doubt, he would never leave. Never. Mm. It doesn't matter how bad it got. Like I knew he wouldn't leave. And at that point in my journey, that like almost felt like enough for me. Mm. But also at that point in my journey, I started yoga. I started therapy. I started all of this stuff, right? And so at some point mm-hmm. you, you go through this journey, like you said, and you're like, but wait, is this true for me? Right. And all of those questions start to arise. And I feel like for a lot of women, at least in my experience with clients and stuff, it's around that like mid 20s to maybe like early 30s when that starts to crack open. Right. When some mm-hmm. of those those questions start to kind of get faced. And um, I don't 100%. think it's coincidental that that's usually the the I guess maybe mid 30s is usually like the, the typical client age or people that I'm seeing on Instagram, mm-hmm. women questioning this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to get a little spiritual, like our Saturn return is like 27 Mm -hmm. to 29. And that's like a pretty big reckoning phase. You know, anything that is unresolved is coming up for review during that two year window. And so it's not a surprise that like we go through that portal and then we're starting to question like what we're doing and how we're doing it. And like, is this really true for me? And And by that point, we're kind of out of that, you know, party phase. At least I was like when I got to my late 20s, I was like, "Mm, this isn't so fun anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel hungover. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I didn't get hangovers before, but like now I'm starting to get them. And I'm like, "Mm, maybe there's something I can do that's more nourishing for my body. So, you know, it's not a surprise that 
people come back to dance or yoga or just mm-hmm. to the body. And once you're coming back to the body, the next natural step is to look at, well, the way that I'm constructing my life, is that in service to the way that I want to feel? And Mm -hmm. if I'm doing all these things like drinking my water and like eating my greens and my protein and working out, and I really care for my well-being in that area, like, and we start to pivot Mm -hmm. into the world of relationships, like, am I bringing that same level of care and devotion to the way that I'm relating to the people that I'm choosing and then it can become like this kind of almost like second awakening where we're like, Oh, that's the area that's kind of out of sync. And this is what I can mm-hmm. do to tune that up a little bit. And, you know, maybe I should stop saying yes when I really mean no, or, <laughs> you know, stop choosing people who just want casual when I really want something more devotional. And it's totally okay to want the devotional thing, to want the deeper, richer commitment. It's also totally okay to want the surface and the situationship and the casual. It's just, you got to be in right relationship with what is really true for you. Otherwise it's going to get wonky either way. And I've seen that where people get into serious relationships where they're not actually ready for that. And that causes a lot of damage too. You know, the same as like, if you're in a situation ship and you want something serious, like there's damage both ways. <laughs> so you, and there are people out there who yeah. want what you want, but they can't find yeah. you and match with you if you're lying about what you want. <laughs> like it's, it's, truth is, you know, a really important part of having healthy relationships. I love that. I've never heard someone discussing conscious relationships or how to approach a little bit, excuse me, um, doing relationships a little bit more consciously in the way that you just spoke to that. I wrote it down. Like the way that I'm constructing my life is this conducive to the way that I want to feel, but bringing Mm -hmm. that into the relationship sphere just feels really potent. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you were speaking about Saturn return. And to me, I always think about that time in our lives. Vanessa and I come from a depth psychology background. So Carl Jung spoke about that period of time is sort of when the individuation process begins. And Mm -hmm. it feels like you have some sort of a connection to depth or a background. And like Vanessa and I were saying, you speak about shadow work a lot. And I'm curious how you came to have an understanding of shadow work or how that came into your work. A lot of that came through that relationship that I spoke about that was emotionally abusive. Like that relationship was one of the most transformative relationships of my life. While it was traumatic, it was also Mm -hmm. deeply transformative. And right from the beginning, like we got into a relationship six months later, he just came over for dinner and was like, I can't do this anymore. Bye. And the, depth that I kind of spun out into I'm like me being like super logical at this point I was like this isn't matching up like we've been together six Mm -hmm. months and like I know that that's a significant amount of time but like it's not like the emotional reaction that I'm having here isn't really lining up with what happened in our relationship the depth of the relationship so there's got to be something else going on here And at that time I had a really deep meditation process. So I was sitting in meditation, like just essentially like giving it up to God and being like, okay, show me, show me what I'm not seeing. And then it started to drop in. I was like, well, you're trying to literally extract the love from him that you actually want from your father. And you're like playing out this dynamic with him where you're trying to get him to approve of you, to validate you, to like pump your tires in the way that you deeply want your father to do that. And instead of like doing like this really crazy, like very emotionally intense drama thing, like why don't you just go to your father and ask directly for what you need? And it had never crossed my mind to do that. 
And I know that that's not the case for everyone. Like not everyone is able to do that, but my relationship with my dad is in a place where I could. And that was like my first taste of like really getting into these unconscious parts and these parts that I had like shoved off or villainized or made wrong and like bringing them into right relationship with the wholeness of my human. And then as the, then we got back together after like this whole thing with my dad got repaired and then we got back together and we were together for three and a half years after that. And with all of the like stuff that was happening, the infidelity that was happening in the relationship, I was able to like get into these places to see where it was kind of mirroring, mirroring these parts that I was not in approval of and these parts of myself that you know, I had really rejected and cast off and um, denied. And because I had denied these parts, like they were coming up with such a vengeance in that container. And like for, I think for both of us, he would probably say the same thing. Like our relationship was an initiation into shadow work for both of us. And Mm -hmm. like when we were going through all of that chaos, like I found a book on shadow work. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of explaining the thing that I had intuitively been understanding, but now I have a framework for. And um, my partner at the time, he was also really big into Jungian psychology. And so he had a bit more of the technical language and I had the intuitive language for it. And of course, at the time meant there was like clashing of worlds. (laughs) It's like, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. Even though like we're literally saying the same thing, just using slightly different language, which was, you know, a big piece of my shadow that I got to look at too, like this need to be right and to dominate and to be in control and seeing these parts that don't like to soften, don't like to surrender and, you know, how I had cast them into... Like I call them my chamber of secrets. Like my shadow is like full of my chamber of secrets. And my work now is to slowly like light the the dungeon stairwell and like light it step by step. And so then we get to the door and we're like, wait a second, I have all of the keys and I can open this door. And when I open it, it's not this like big scary beast because I have this light that I can like go in with. And once I light it up, I can see it's just like this really soft, tender part of me that wants to be loved back into wholeness. And so like my version of shadow work is like we go into each of these chambers of secrets and see what we find. Like there's a treasure in there that wants to be loved back into wholeness. And you can't do it all at one time. And this is where I think a lot of that patriarchal um, supremacy sort of ideology gets imposed on this work where it's like, you have to be fast. You have to be efficient. You have to get there in like one shot and like make it count. (laughs) Whereas this is actually like really (laughs) slow work. This is like getting into the realm of the mystery, which is the realm of the feminine energetic, which the patriarchy and like supremacy dominator culture is so not in right relationship with the feminine. It literally demonizes anything that's the feminine Mm -hmm. energetic. So like the mess, the mystery, the slowness, the internal, the descent, like all of that gets villainized because it's not efficient. (laughs) Like that's where the fulfillment is. Like that's where the richness is. And so like doing this type of work in many ways is like kind of unhooking where you're kind of hooked in or plugged into that dominator culture system and like taking it apart brick by brick internally so that the way that you're showing up out in the world, you're not playing this stuff out and like dumping your shit onto other people. And I think it's really important work. If not like the most important work, you know, to get into right relationship with all parts of you so that you can go and be in relationship with other people, but also the world at large 
from a place of reverence, from a place mm -hmm. of like really honoring the humanity of the person in front of you. Like it, it's so important. And, you know, I love that shadow work was the thing that kind of brought me to those realizations. Are you able to articulate, I suppose, like why in your experience it's so difficult for people to truly do shadow work? Because in my experience, conceptually, people really like it, right? And, and there's a real understanding of it or at least a, a desire to. But then when we get into it, and I've done you know a lot of this with clients, um, there's a lot of resistance. I mean, I still have resistance to some of it. Sure. And I'm wondering from your kind of point of view what you feel like some of that is. I think it's a couple things. I think it's, first of all, we bump up against this part, like the good person programming. So we all seem to have this on some level. Like I want to be seen as a good person, which the identity of being a good person is different than actually being an embodied good person. The identity will have you like doing things that are actually really harmful. <laughs> in relationships because yep. you want to keep yep. that image up, right? You're not in relationship with the true thing. So I think level one, it kind of whacks this identity of being a good person because you have to look at the ways in which, you know, you might not be a good person by that standard all the time. Like you have to look at the ways in which you are an asshole, the ways in mm -hmm. which you are cruel or you are dehumanizing or you are you know, cut off from connection. And like, that's painful stuff to deal with. And so if we don't have an approval for our emotional world, we can't hold what happens when that good person programming gets whacked. And so, you know, it's the good person programming, plus we're just not that great, at least in North America, of really being approving of the relational world, or I mean, of the emotional world. And so when these parts get whacked, there's like this surge of like high sensation. And that's usually conflated with emotion. And we don't know how to hold that somatically. So then it goes to this other piece of like, well, we don't have somatic capacity in our body because we're so tightly wound because we're trying mm -hmm. to run these identities of like, look at me, I'm a good person. And like, it has you deny what's true. And so like, this is why I love embodiment methods and why there is a core embodiment method that is the baseline of all the work that I do now so that we can get into the body and we can kind of burn off some of that energy so that our capacity and our nervous system starts to expand. We use nonlinear pathways to do that as well. So that if there is like any residual like trauma that's locked up in the body, the body can start to unwind it in the way that it naturally knows how to do. The mind really gets in the way a lot of the time and the mind will interfere. And so we have to go nice and slow. And you know, if we have these pillars of, okay, I can see the distinction between like my good person programming and then the actual just truth of my human, which might be an inherently good human, but like wanting to be seen as a good human, that's where we get tripped up. And then this piece of like, am I in approval of my emotional world? Like, do I have approval for all my core emotions? Or do I only have approval for certain ones that make me look like a good person? And so yeah. getting in right relationship with the emotions and then expanding the somatic nervous system capacity so that we can hold sensation in the body. Because if we can't hold sensation, the second someone's like, you hurt my feelings and it's a very high sensation experience. So we get flooded emotionally. We have this high sensation and we're like, no, I'm not. You just hit my identity. You just hit my good person identity. No, I'm, I'm not mean. Like, how dare you? And then we're off to like this battle. And then it's like this domination thing that happens. Uh, like, no, I need to prove to you that I'm not the thing that you just said. 
because we're not hearing mm-hmm. what is being said clearly because it's being filtered through all those other layers versus like when we have right relationship with our emotions, when we have right relationship with our somatic capacity, we understand that even being a good human means we'll do shitty things sometimes. When someone says, you hurt my feelings or you did something that really wasn't okay with me, we can sit with it and be like, huh, yeah, I can see some truth in that. I can see what you're getting at. And you you know what? You're right. That wasn't okay for me to say. And then, then once we're there, like, and we're meeting reality, there's an opening that happens relationally. When that opening happening happens relationally, then we can get to repair. Then we can get back on track with each other being like, okay, well, how do we make this right? Like, and Mm -hmm. then I might go do a little bit of shadow work and be like, what was that about for me? And then bring that back and be like, okay, this is actually what I can be responsible and accountable for. Like, this is the part that got whacked when that happened. And that's, you know, why I said the shitty thing to you in the first place, you know, and it could be so simple as like, I haven't been caring for my human. I haven't been getting enough sleep. I have not been nourishing myself. I have, I was really dehydrated. And like, I now see when I get like that, I'm not very relational, am I? And then we, we start to have like this really rich conversation where we come back to connection with ourselves and with each other. I was just talking to my two and a half year old about how we start getting more in tune with our body um, when our body is telling us that we're hungry. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. we, she said to me, mom, what's a meltdown? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> because she had just had one. And my friend and I were like, oh, here's the meltdown. <laughs> she said, and I said, well, that's when we're feeling all of the things at once, you know, angry and sad mm-hmm. and frustrated and hungry. And th- I said, and it overwhelms us. And I said, so we're just going to keep working on getting more in touch with your body. So when your body is telling you you're hungry, you can tell me that so that we can get some food in your belly before you have all the feelings. <laughs> and I said, because mommy has meltdowns when she's too hungry. I was like, too. she gets a little hangry like her mama. <laughs> yeah. I told her that. I was like, I'm the same way. I get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and have meltdowns too. <laughs> But it is. I mean, this is like the teaching of the body, you know, as silly as that sounds. I mean, that's that's an example of it. It's like getting really clear on what your body is telling you and then the emotions that are then connected to that body oriented experience, right? Before they then turn into now I'm disconnected from self and disconnected to relationships because both of those two steps have kind of been you know, over overlooked mm-hmm. or bypassed, but it's just, yeah. it's funny how it, it's even at this age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. actually where it starts, you know, and mm-hmm. for a lot of kiddos, they don't have a mama like you who knows that and who can really like take that apart and be like, oh, this is actually what's happening. And like, this is what we're going to practice going forward. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of kids grow up like having to override that or like they don't get that um, mentorship from their parents or their Mm -hmm. caregivers. So they've literally built, you know, a whole life by the time they're 28, like 28 years of like having like this chaotic, like internal experience where we're not listening to the body. We're having to override like, you know, when you are a little human and you have big feelings and then the adults around you, are threatened by those big feelings because they can't be with their big feelings, then you learn how to shut down those big feelings and stop listening yeah. to the body. Right. And then when we get to like our Saturn return, it's like, welcome back, two-year-olds. I think we're going to start <laughs> at the waiting. beginning. We've been waiting. <laughs> yeah. I just have to name Kelsey, there's something so intentional and poetic about the way that you explain everything you're Mm -hmm. saying. It's so like even speaking about parenting as mentorship, like it's just like my heart's like, oh, God, I I just have to say that out loud because Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with it. Um, But something Vanessa and I were talking about before you came on that I'm a little curious to hear what your thoughts are. 
I too, as you spoke to this before, am very much obsessed with how we do relationships in a way that I think brings a little bit more honesty and fulfillment and, you know, truth into our lives. And I feel like there's a little bit of an unspoken war of the sexes that is coming into the space of reckoning from my perspective, you know, as I'm working with couples, I think there's something that feels like it's almost like I don't know, Vanessa, like, what were we saying? It's like something in the content right now. There's a lot of lashing out and a lot of like, whoa, did you just say that out loud, bro? Like, what's happening? It's the, um, I'm calling it right now. Also, it's like a little bit of the fair play effect. Like, I think she sensed it. Mm. She jumped on it, too, and kind of like lit another fuse. And I think all the content I'm seeing is just like, <laughs> claws are out. I'm just curious to hear. I know. <laughs> I mean. um, your thoughts on this moment that we're living through. Cause I do feel like there's a rise of the feminine that you were speaking to all of mm -hmm. this, like thousands of years of suppressing and rejecting the feminine in all yeah. of us is sort of coming to a head. Um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this moment in history that I believe we're living through. I mean, I'll be totally honest. I think it's a total shit show. Like it's mm -hmm. agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and but I've I got think my popcorn. A... I'm kind of here. Yeah, for it. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, there and like this is the thing like I have to really watch myself of like okay like it is a shit show and like I have my popcorn and I also have to know like when to turn the tv off or when to put my phone down mm -hmm. and to see like mm -hmm. what parts it's activating in me because there is like I've noticed this a lot in this last week actually of like there's so much drama that's like flowing and it's really high sensation. And whenever we're plugged into drama, we don't have to touch the true thing. We don't have to touch the thing that's more vulnerable, that's more tender. So I think this is a normal like phase of the journey to kind of like, you know, like, especially when you felt powerless your entire life. Yeah. I think it's actually an important phase to like kind of, crank it a little and maybe like you overdo it a bit but like we still got to get into the embodiment of like oh no this is like my power like this is like what i stand for like no fuck you you can't talk to me like that and like we have to go through that phase yeah. and that's kind of like the toddler phase of it like we're messy with it we're not relational because toddlers are literally just about them like they, yeah. their brains haven't developed to the point where they are relational yet. And that's okay. And the same goes for our emotional development. If we haven't properly like developed that throughout our adolescence and adulthood. So when we feel these feelings of powerlessness, but then we get a taste of power, we're like, Rah! let's like run this, let's go with it. And then as we like run that through our system, we start to like settle the waters and like touch the truer thing of like, well, true power is like being in right relationship with my body, with reality, mm -hmm. being able to back my boundaries. Like I'm not someone who is victimized by a guy who doesn't want what I want, but there's a lot of that happening where, and, and it's both like both. Like, men who don't want what women want and women who don't want what men want. And then this like victimization of like, how dare they, how dare they not want what mm -hmm. I want? I'm going to make them wrong. And that's where like the claws are coming out because it's a way for us to like claim the thing that we really want in a really fumbly way at first. And then we start to smooth it out and we like, Oh wait, like if they don't want what I want, that's just what it is. Like they don't want what I want. No drama. But when we're plugged into a matrix that is literally fueled by drama and literally mining your outrage, like this happens all the time. Yeah. Like your outrage is the currency that the matrix and this patriarchal system is being run off of. It's literally extracting your life force energy in the form of outrage. And then if that doesn't work, they're like, drama! <laughs> like, let's just sprinkle in some drama. And then when we're kind of plugged into both of those, like, it's so high sensation that we aren't feeling those subtle cues in the body. We're not feeling the truer thing. We're not feeling the deeper thing. And it, it 
you know, it's a mess. And so as more people kind of come back into their body and start to feel their own heart again and, you know, do the shadow work, do the emotional alchemy work to like feel those feelings all the way through. Like it's, it's necessary. Like we have to grieve, we have to rage. We have to like feel disgust. We have to feel the fear. Like we also have to feel the joy and the excitement and the sexual excitement and like, and learn how to hold all of them with reverence. And like, this is just like the clunky kind of toddler slash adolescent phase of our collective development. <laughs> We're kind of fumbling the ball a bit. But you, you don't get to be a professional football player without first starting as someone who fumbles the ball and doesn't know the rules of the game. It's through fumbling the ball. It's through practicing. It's through like running drills. It's through like doing the plays that just do not turn into, you know, championship wins that you actually learn your mastery. You learn your craft. And so that's what I see is happening on a global scale. We're kind of learning this craft of embodied relating. And we're just in that clunky phase of like, oh yeah, we're just fumbling the ball. We're like, you know, doing push-ups to the point of like exasperation and then we're collapsing. And then, oh, it takes like five days to like get back to like doing a push-up again. Like we're just in that phase and it's okay because that phase literally leads us into deeper mastery. And so, you know, the only thing that I can really do is really be conscious about how I'm participating in the matrix. And like, what is the thing that I'm activating here? Because I can activate my outrage. I can let that be milled in mind and extracted. I can plug into drama and let that extract my life force energy too, or I can like literally drop into my sovereignty and have those boundaries of like, no, I will not do that. I will stand for what mm -hmm. is true, what is aligned with my value system, but I will not let you plug in and pull and extract my life force energy. I'm not into it. And you might call me a bad, harmful, dangerous woman for that. And I'm okay with it. I'm literally okay mm -hmm. with you calling me every name in the book because I know what's true. And I know how I show up in my relationships. I know how I show up in life. And I know that I'm also willing to claim ownership if I am doing something that's really offside. And like, that's like how we kind of carve our way through this kind of fumble territory that we're in collectively right now into like a deeper state of mastery individually, but also together as a collective. That's kind of my two cents on it right now. Yeah. I think it also goes going back to the shadow conversation we were having. I mean, Danae and I talk, I mean, obviously there's the collective shadow and how much it's been kind of brought up continually in the last, maybe say 10 years or so, obviously with like social media and just, it's more on display. Um, but I also look at the importance of the spirit, like whatever you want to call it. So whether it's the spiritual psychology aspect, whether it's just being in touch with spirit, you know, whatever your version of that looks like. I mean, when I think about how Jung was so clear on how the two could not be separated, like the process of psychology and that kind of inner development and spirituality and connectedness to spirit, how they, they are intrinsically linked. Right. And when I look at the shadow that's collectively coming up, I mean, talk about the patriarchal fall, right? When we look at a lot of the more Western patriarchal approaches to spirituality, and I'll use air quotes when I say that it is all about something outside of self being the knowing being doing figure right that tells you what's good what's bad and in a lot of ways it's very punitive you know it's set up to make you believe and act as though you are bad and flawed at your core and so you spend a lifetime proving or attempting to prove or or deflect or bar against any kind of suggestion right that you might be and i think so much of the the spiritual 
I don't know, awakening, I guess is the word that's coming up for me. And the feminine, you know, the rise in the feminine is more of this reclamation of, or maybe not reclamation. I'm like, I'm almost like articulating it as it's coming up in my head. It's like pushing back against that, right? Like there is no quote unquote being or anything outside of self that tells me that I am intrinsically bad or good that comes from within. Um, and I, I don't even know if I'm making sense, but it's just something that you're saying is kind of reconnecting to this idea of shadow because I, I do mm -hmm. find that this, this spiritual connection is just, it's imperative. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's connected to that shadow conversation. hundred percent. And like traditional spirituality is like this up and out thing. Yeah. Like we <clears throat> are trying to like ascend the body, but like, yeah, we are human on earth. Yep. And like the earth body. game <laughs> is in a body. So to mm -hmm. me, like that doesn't make much sense. Like where we are kind of denying the feminine aspect of the down and in. And like, we are just jumping right to the up and out. Like we're literally trying to like get out of our body. And then, you know, we play this patriarchal spiritual game of like, you were born a sinner. So you need yep. to spend oh, your whole God. life, your whole life trying to make daddy happy again. Yep. Sky daddy. So that maybe like in the afterlife, you might be liberated. And to me, the it's thing that that does, it, oh, it, it fucking enrages me. Well, it's like, not like I as could, a therapist, right? Or somebody who sits with people, like it's so activating because it's just yeah. so much of what gets brought to us. 100%. Is that storyline playing out in life, right? Yeah. Deeply damaging. You know, mm -hmm. deeply damaging. And what that does is like it kicks in that like good person identity of like, well, I need to prove that I'm a good person throughout my whole life because if there's anything that, you know, on judgment day that comes up, like I might get thrown into the pits of hell. Yeah. And so like, it's like this... I mean, it's fucking brilliant in terms of like controlling a mass group of people. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> but it doesn't make it true. And that's not me saying right. that God's not true. Spirituality is not true. Like, that's not it at all. It's this um, like distortion of truth mm -hmm. that's happened. Mm -hmm. And it's just been perpetuated for so many centuries that it feels like the truth. But the right. most connected to God I have ever felt are those moments when I'm fully in my body. Yes. Where I'm fully yeah. available to all parts of myself, including my shadow, including my emotional world, include like I literally just got full body goosebumps. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> like that is the path of you know, the spiritual, like the feminine spirituality coming in to balance the scales. Like my work is a lot about union and harmony. Like I'm also a musician. So like harmony is important to me. Like it hurts my ears to hear things that are not in harmony. And it hurts my heart to see things not in harmony. And part of that means like we do need this up and out because it's like this beautiful blossoming energy. But if you do not have the down and in, which is the roots, that blossoming means nothing. Like it's actually a fabrication. It's not truth. Like you just look at a plant or a tree. You don't have a tree that's alive that doesn't have deep, rich roots. The canopy being like this beautiful thing is only because there are deep, rich roots. And like the tree is going literally down and in to the earth for that sustenance to come up and out. And like, to me, that's kind of the balance that's start, like trying to recalibrate here is like, we need to teach the down and in. And so all of my work is the down and in, like getting back. Well, what a beautiful visual because also when you think of trees and when you have this beautiful canopy, the roots are also, not only are they down and deep, but they're also in healthy soil and they are interconnected 
with other plants and trees under the ground, right? There's such a deep interconnectedness that we're only just beginning to understand about trees that in so many ways mimic what is healthy for the human being as well, right? And so, yeah, yeah just such a beautiful image. I'm, I am I read a book called um, The Over Overstory. I'll have to remember it and put it in the show notes. It was so beautiful. The whole book was about trees and it was five different storylines, but it was all connected through trees. That was like the connecting tissue. And I learned so much about trees in this book, but it was like just so beautifully metaphorical. And so I'm so glad you brought that image up. I love that. Mm. I want to read that book now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So, it's such a good book. Yeah. Highly recommend. Imagery. Well, I feel like we could just sit and listen to you all day, but we want to be respectful of your time. So we have a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. So um, who have been, yeah, (laughs) your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have impacted your path up to this point, whether Mm. people you know or just people whose work you really resonate with? I mean... Like the OGs are like Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Like those are like my OG teachers. Um, but in this particular lifetime, Robert Augustus Masters was so huge for me, um, especially when going through like that really clunky period of time. Um, my current teachers, Michaela Boehm, and like for embodiment and Perry Chase for like this deeper feminine spirituality, they've been so huge for me. Um, and there's just like, to me, like every single person I meet is a potential teacher and like, they really are a teacher in some way, shape or form. So like my parents and my brother and every partner I've ever had and all of my friends, like these are people who have deeply mentored and shaped the person that I've become as well. And that's just as important as like a teacher who's like out doing this professionally. And so I want Mm -hmm. to include all of those people as well. Beautiful. Um, okay. So this concept of flow, right? That thing that you're doing when you just can blink your eyes and an entire day goes by, what is flow for you? I mean, I definitely like touch flow anytime I'm working on music or anytime I'm channeling, like I'm teaching. Um, those are the two places where like I lose time. Like if I have my guitar and I'm just like noodling on the guitar, or I start to channel a song because for me, music is a byproduct of the work that I do here as well. Like, and so I will channel music. I'm not like a technical writer in that sense. And so the same way that I'll channel a piece of writing for Instagram or when I channel, when I teach, um, these are all the places where that flow happens. And really to me, it's just like when I'm open, like anytime, like I'm truly open and like that super highway is moving like from the roots to the canopy, like that's when I'm in flow and like my life's work from this point forward is like, can we like find that in every area of life? Mm-hmm. And it's not just like when I'm doing music or when I'm teaching, but like, can it be like the mundane tasks of like taking out the garbage? where that flow state is happening. And it really is like the opening of the body, the opening of the heart, the mind kind of knowing its place, that it's in service to the deeper opening of my body and my heart, not the thing that's driving the vehicle. <laughs> um, so that that's my answer for that one. And what breaks your heart, Kelsey? <sighs> When I see people who are alone or misunderstood and like really lacking that sense of connection and love, like my heart breaks every single time. And that could be someone who's in a room full of people. And whenever I feel like the disconnect of the human, it breaks my heart. 
Like it happens with my niece and my nephew, those moments where their flow state is interrupted and then like they lose connection with who they truly are. Like those moments are like mini heartbreaks. And then I see it like mm. on a bigger level with the adults around me, you know, like trying to work for sky daddy and like prove him and like prove their goodness. Like that breaks my heart mm-hmm. when people are related to in such a dehumanizing way, because in order to dehumanize someone, you have to be completely disconnected from yourself. Like right. that breaks my heart on both sides. So it's really like the, the breaking connection to what is true is what breaks my heart every time. And like all the atrocities on this planet are a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. And so like it all kind of like permeates like abuse of people, abuse of animals, abuse of children, like abuse of the planet. Like all of that comes from a disconnection within self, you know, where we have to keep extracting in order to sustain mm-hmm. ourselves versus like, let, mm-hmm. let me open, let me touch the truer thing. And I don't need to extract anything when I'm in that state. That's, that's the thing that mm. breaks my heart the most. Powerful. Okay. And then to round it out, what is your favorite food? Oh, okay. I have two. I was actually <laughs> thinking about this the other day. I'm like, if I, it was like the, like I had to give this answer. I was like, can I pick just one? I don't think I can. Um, I love mashed potatoes so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I also love spaghetti. Like, these are my two favorite things in the whole world. Although they don't pair well together. (laughs) I'm here for it. Those are good. Those are good choices. We'll we'll allow the two. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, Kelsey, tell us where, you know, our, our listeners can find you. Are you working on anything new? Like, where can they connect with you? Sure. So Instagram is where I tend to be the most active. I'm starting to get more active on TikTok, although it goes in like phases. I'm like, I just don't want to be on here. Um, But Instagram is the place that I come to on a regular basis and I will show up there. So you can find me at Radical Self Love on Instagram. It's the same on TikTok. And I do have a few new things that I'm working on, like the whole path of my work is starting to really like carve itself. And like, we finally had this really critical piece drop in a couple weeks ago. And so like, there's this whole path to my work, which you can find at the creatrix mystery school.com. And I teach embodiment classes. I do like a nine week embodiment series to help you get back into your body, like really work some of those alchemical practices. We actually work with archetypes in that container. Um, And then I have an intro container, which is like a rolling container. You can come in at any time. There's no start date. There's no end date. Um, There's just as long as you need to be in there. That's called reverence. And it's really getting into the attunement of emotional artistry. So like getting in right relationship with your emotions and some foundations for relational mastery. And then my upper level path is initiated and that is the foundations for relational mastery. And as you can imagine being called initiated, it is literally about walking through the fires of everything that is untrue. So everything that is untrue in your life gets burned away piece by piece. And it's a very slow path. It's a two year path so that we can go nice and slow. We're not just like lighting a bomb and blowing up your whole life. We're taking these pieces Mm. that are untrue apart piece by piece so that it's sustainable. And you can really step into relationships from a place of mastery and embodiment and like having the skills, but also the emotional attunement and the embodiment to hold the relational dream in your heart. So those are like the pathways if you'd like to do this work together. Um, I also have a podcast. You can listen to that. Like, there's so many things. Like if you're not quite ready to come through the gates and I really trust that, like if you're not quite ready to come through the gates, like yeah. I'm not the type of person who's like, that's a limiting belief. I'm like, okay, I trust your body. 
<laughs> like I trust your yeah. knowing. Like you know you yeah. the best. And it might be yep. not the right time. It might be out of range financially. It might be out of range emotionally. I might not be the right teacher for you. So I really right. trust that. And like, so I really want to say that because when people come in, it's because the deeper thing in them is moving them in and they trust that. So we're already on a foundation of right relationship with reality. We're not using any of those like tactics and manipulations of the patriarchy, like to get you to override your body in order to do the thing that makes me mm -hmm. happy. Like I'm not into it. And so like, yeah. Yeah. you will not find that with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Love it so much. Kelsey, I read something yesterday um, that I'd never heard before that said that Carl Jung said, um, a mystic is someone who is uniquely tapped into the experience of the collective unconscious. And I just kept thinking so often as I was listening to you, you were such a clear example of what it is to be in the presence of a mystic. I think you are such a gift. Um, thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and uh, just really appreciate you. Mm, thank you so much. It's quite an honor to be here with both of you. Like I just love both of you and the work that you do in the world. And I'm so happy that we're connected and I look forward to having you both on my podcast too. Like that would be so fun Let's to bring you both on. Let's yeah, do it. That'd be great. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast.